We're going to start a, a Christmas series uh, today called God With Us, and the subtitle is Wow. Isn't that sound good? Wow. Uh, so let's dive right into it. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, it reads like this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed, a.k.a. engaged, to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being just a man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, everybody say behold, behold. everybody behold. behold, oh you sound good today, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take, to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In verse 20, there's that word that I asked you guys to repeat, Behold, the, the angel shows up and he says, behold. Now, what does behold mean? Behold means, wow. Wow. If you want to know what it technically means, if you want to get into the details, it means to stand in awe and be amazed. In other words, wow! The, the angel is showing up, and this is in the Frankie International Version. I don't know if you have this Bible. But the angel is showing up and saying, Joseph, get ready, because what I'm about to tell you is going to... It is going to blow your mind. It is, it is so wow. That's what he's saying. See, wow has different levels. There's, you see something and go, wow. That's different. There's that wow. And then there's this wow. Wow. That's amazing. And then there's this third category wow, where it's, Wow! I am amazed! Right? And, and that is the wow that, that this angel is saying. He's saying, wow! And what's happening is he's saying this, your girlfriend, your fiance, she was about 16 at the time, they, they did this rather young, the angel is saying, your fiancé is pregnant, and it's not by Jim or Bob. You can relax, but get ready. It's actually from God. Whoa. Right? He is amazed, but what is so awesome? That if you read the scriptures, 
You don't say, wow, when Jesus comes on the scene. You actually back up and go, wow, before he ever comes on the scene, while they're introducing him in Matthew chapter 1. Now, what's interesting is in Matthew chapter 1, if you've ever tried to read it, it is so hard to read. Because it's basically the entire family tree. The whole family tree is written out. There's actually 47 names written on this family tree that you've got to go through and read. But in those days, genealogies were incredibly important. Because if you were going to be anybody of any significance, you had to have the right pedigree. If you didn't have the right pedigree, then you did not have the license to be significant. So the reason why they gave the genealogy is they're saying, look, this baby is not just any baby. This baby was prophesied 200 years earlier. And, and when he was prophesied to come in the book of Isaiah, there was, he was supposed to come through a certain lineage. And so he gives the genealogy to say, this is that baby. The one that you've been expecting, this is him. This is, whoa, this is it. Right? Now, what's crazy is when you're reading the genealogy, in those days, in that culture, it was all about men. It's all about men. They weren't the brightest in the world. It was all about men. You, you didn't mention women. But what's odd is that the writer of Matthew, first chapter of Matthew, given the genealogy, it, it was, it, he was purposeful to mention five women. Out of 47 names, five of them were women. And the first woman that he picked is that woman. All right? Almost everybody I know in their family tree, or in their family, doesn't even have to go too many branches out, you got that one or two stories in the family that you are not supposed to talk about. Are you with me? You know what happened. Everyone else knows it happened, but you don't talk about it. If you don't have that, it's okay, because I've got like six of them in my family. I've got enough for both of us. It's the, it's the situations that at Thanksgiving you almost want to shoot a reminder email. Don't talk about... Da, 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 da. It is the elephant in the room that is sitting on the couch. He's going to be there a while. We know what happened. You know what happened. We don't need to talk about it. That's who this woman was. Her name was Tamar. And I'm going to tell you her story, the Reader's Digest version. And while I'm telling it, you are going to sit there and go, wow. But when Jesus came on the scene, what he did to her life makes you go, wow. Here we go. So there was a guy named Judah. Judah had three sons. The oldest son saw Tamar and he did his thing. 
So, how are you? And lured her in. Now, men, isn't it amazing how creative and romantic we were before we got married? Are you with, your wife will, will, they're nodding at me, so you may as well nod at me. You went to picnic tables and carved your name into picnic tables with her name. You found tree stumps and, and roots and carved names and, and rose petals and champagne. And, oh, baby, why did you buy me this? Just because. <laughs> he did it all. He lured her in. And when he got down on one knee on his way down, yes. She was in. But once they got married, the worst inconceivable thing happened. She realized that this guy is not Don Juan DeMarco, the greatest lover who has ever lived. He's actually a devil. He was so evil that God arranged for him to be killed. Read it for yourself in Genesis 38. Now, in those ancient traditions, if the oldest son died and did not leave an heir, he didn't, he didn't get his wife pregnant, what was supposed to happen is the second oldest son was supposed to step in and give her an heir. So Judah, the father, looks at his next oldest son and says, son, put your big boy boots on and Go do what you need to do. And he was like, I don't want to. He said, you need to do what you need to do. I don't want to. So he went into the bedroom with her. Lots of drama happened in that bedroom. Read it for yourself. It's very specific. Not going to get into it. <laughs> he leaves the bedroom. What he did was evil. He didn't rape her or anything, but what he did was not good. Anyway, he chose not to get her pregnant, okay? Um, walks out. The Lord was so angry with him and how evil he was caused him to die too. Now Judah, he's only seeing the surface. He's looking at Tamar going, now hold on a minute, girl. Before I even talk about my third son, you married my first son, he dies. You married my second son, he dies. Have you ever met those parents that think that their kids are awesome? And they're not? And you're like, your kid is a brat. And they're like, my kids are awesome. And you're like, your kid is a brat. Have you ever been there? He thinks his kids are amazing. He's looking at Tamar like, I don't know what you're up to, girl, but you need to, and he actually says this, you go back home to your father. I'll call you when my third son grows up and he's of age. I'll, I'll, you don't call us. <laughs> we'll call you. She goes back home. Years go by. The third son grows up. She's sitting by the phone. This is a big deal to her because in those days, in that culture, if you were a widow without a child, you had to dress a certain way. 
she felt ashamed. So she is literally waiting by the phone for years for this boy to grow up so that she can finally move on with her life and get out of this season of shame. No phone call comes. She realizes what just happened. Judah is pushing her out. Remember, Tamar has not done anything wrong. She's the victim here. She hasn't done anything. She's about to do something very sinful, though. She finds out that Judah is coming to town, the, her father-in-law. And she knows the character of her father-in-law. How many of you know the character of your in-laws? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Keep your hands down here, down here, down here. I want you guys to go home happy with each other. <laughs> I thought oh, my in-laws are crazy. She knew the character of her father-in-law. And she knew that he had a wandering eye for women. So what she did is she took her widow clothes off and she put on something a little bit more revealing. She sat by the city gates with a dress, high slit, showing some leg and some other things, but she put a veil on to cover her face. And exactly as she anticipated... Judah walks up to her. Judah doesn't know it's his daughter-in-law. And Judah propositions her. For just one night. I just want one night in a bedroom with you. And, And she says back to him, well, how much will you give me? And he says, well, I, you're not just any girl. I'll treat you good. I'll give you a goat. (laughs) And she said, you had me at goat. (laughs) She accepted the offer. It must have been one dandy of a goat. (laughs) I mean, we're talking about Texas rodeo blue ribbon stuff. But anyway. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, help me. She says, yes, go back to the hotel, the motel. And and she says, now, hold on a second. How do I know you're going to come back with my goat? She says, you need to give me something uh, as a deposit to make sure that you're going to come back. She says, all right, all right, right. I'll give you my staff and I'll give you my signet coin, which is like everyone seemed to have one in those days. It's like a monogram of of your initials. It's like a signet, it was like a signet, not like, it was like a signet ring, except it was a coin. It it was yours. It it was like, it was your signature. He gives her the staff and he gives her the signet coin and he says, now where were we? And, and, And they had their evening. He never knew that it was his daughter-in-law. She kept her face covered the entire time. Three months later, word came back to Judah. Hey, Judah, you're not going to believe this. Your daughter-in-law is pregnant. He goes, she's pregnant. Watch this. What a whore 
she is. I can't believe that she's done this. I want her stoned. Now, incidentally, whenever he sent his servant back after that magical evening with the goat, she was nowhere to be found. So he returned with the goat. See, this girl may have been a lot of things, but she wasn't dumb. He says, I want that girl stoned. I want her killed. I want you to drag her outside of the city. And he actually says, not only does he want her killed, he wants her burned. After they throw stones at her, after they, he wants her burned. They kick the door open. They come in. They drag her. Ah! They're dragging her. She goes, wait, 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 wait. She goes, the father of this baby. His staff and his signet coin is in the closet. Did you hear me say she was a lot of things, but she wasn't dumb? They go back to the closet. They find Judah's staff and Judah's coin. Judah's at home. He is relieved that this girl is finally dead and gone. They come back. The servants come back to his house and say, is she dead? And they said, no. Why not? Well, what had happened was we found out who the father is. Who is he? Well, we have his signet coin, sir. It's, it's right here. And he says, this woman is more righteous than I. I am the fault here. And forgives her of everything. This woman, Tamar, is the one mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. There were at least 47 women to be mentioned. You're not supposed to mention any of them. But right at the top of the list, read it for yourself, right at the top of the list is Tamar. Why is she there? You got to remember, nothing in the Bible, nothing in the Word of God is by accident. It is the breath of God. It is inspired by God. So listen to this. I believe that her name was in there for three specific reasons. And the first one is to say this. I can handle your secrets. I know your secrets. I, I can handle the secrets that you have buried in your past. I know what they are. And I don't take you and try to hide them and push them out of the way. I actually, I am just as much in love with you now as I was when I formed you in your mother's womb, and I'm not ashamed of you, I am proud of you, and I love you. And listen to this. You have not forfeited your place. You have not forfeited your assignment. I knew that that tough season was going to come before you were ever born. And when I made your assignment, I knew where you were going to struggle, and I made it knowing that. So I'm not ashamed of you. 
I'm with you. And I just want to say this to everyone here. This is the part where you go, wow. Jesus came down to be with us. And before he ever even got here, he wanted to say, whatever has happened in any of your past, whether it's you, him, her, him, him, her, whatever it is. I saw it. I know about it. And we're going to work with this. I am here. I am with you. I love you. And I'm not ashamed of you. And what we have learned with, with how Jesus handles people is every saint has a past. And every sinner has a future. He was aware of it all. He's okay with it. He loves you. He didn't arrange for that season. But when he saw it coming, he knew that it was going to come before you were ever born. He said, okay, this is it. This is going to be a tough season. Angels, get with her. Get with him. This is going to be in the top three. Everybody has three seasons that almost break you. This is it. But I'm with you. and We're going to hang on. We're going to go through this together. And my plan, it's a good plan. It's a plan to prosper you and to bless you, not to harm you, but to keep you. I've got a future and a hope for you. we got to get through this. So if there's anyone here, like my family, that has a peppered past, Jesus shows up and says, I've got a peppered past. My family has crazy things. And we're all in this thing together, and I love you. And every time you think of something in your past that makes you feel bad, that is a thought. It is like an arrow from hell. It is not from God because he loves you, and he does not think that way. That was the first point. The second point is this, is that he sees the secrets of Tamar's heart. There was never a moment where Tamar woke up and went, Let's figure out how I can mess my life up today. Nobody thinks like that. See, God saw the whole thing. He saw her trying to get to a destination but was making bad decisions along the way. But her intention, her heart, her desire was pure except the way she was going about it was wrong. And what I love about Psalms chapter 44 verse 21 is it says this, that he knows the secret of every heart. And so when you and I, when we've made bad decisions or when we make bad decisions in the future, he doesn't, he's not a man that just sees the action. He sees the heart inside and he sees That you and I are trying to get this to a good place. This situation to a good place. We're just making tough decisions. Have you ever been in an argument with someone? And you're trying to make it better. But every time you open your mouth it gets worse. Nobody raised their hand and I understand. I understand. If it, I'll raise it for all of us. How about that? 
I've been in arguments with my wife and I'm thinking, we're not even arguing about what we started off arguing about. In fact, I don't even know what we're arguing about. <laughs> Have you ever been there? Have you ever said, whoa, where did that come from? I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't buy dog food. <laughs> How did we get here? Oh, you don't even know me. Oh my goodness. Are you with me? We're trying to make this better. We're just making it worse. The Lord sees the secret of your heart. He sees where we mess up and he backs up. And, and this, is, this is awesome. Whenever you see flowers fall off a tree, they all just fell off about two months ago. Uh, you see leaves fall off a tree. You don't walk up to the flowers and pick them up and go, You don't go get an axe and say, well, all your leaves fell off. Waka, waka, waka. You don't kill the tree. It, because the excitement, it, it's about the future, not about the past. There's more fruit coming. And with the Lord, he backs up and says, there's more fruit Common. Let me read a, a, a great scripture for you. It's in Isaiah. Uh, if you could put it on the screen for me if you have it. It's in Isaiah 43, verse 18. Um, and I want us all to read it out loud, okay? Real loud, all right? One, two, three. Forget. Forget about. If it's in the past, as of 60 seconds ago, don't think about it. You say, but why? I'll, I'm so glad you asked. Watch this. Real loud. One, two, three. Listen. All right. Three people weren't reading it, so we got to do it all over again. All right. One, two, three, go. Listen. Rivers in the desert? That's impossible. Exactly. There are things in our life that are just impossible. And God's saying, yes, this is what I do. I do the impossible. I do the impossible. Because here, watch this. God is not in the sin, but he can work through it. Which leads me to my third point. God wants to share his sovereign secrets. He, he sees the past. He sees the heart of what we were trying to do. He sees the good in there. And, and he also says, I've got a sovereign plan that I want to share with you. I see that you just needed a son to get out of that season. You did it all wrong, full of sin. But I'm going to work with it anyway. And just to prove to you that I'm in this thing, I'm not going to give you one son. I'm going to give you two. She had twins. See, when God comes in, he begins to cause greatness to rise in the most humble among us. 
it seems to me that the Lord is drawn to people who are weak. He seems drawn to people who have a peppered past. He seems drawn to people that are saying, my life feels like it's in the middle of a desert. And what I have found is everybody usually has something going really good in their life and then something that's not going so good. And they try to ignore what's not going so good to pay attention to what is going good and get really consumed with what is going good to ignore what's not going good. And and, and in the long run, that doesn't usually work out. But when we come to him and we say, look, what is not going good is a very important part of my life, but I feel like I'm in a desert with it. I don't see it changing. I need some help. It's those people that he seems to be drawn to the most because that's when he shows his strength to be the greatest. He finds weak people that are willing to be humble to him. And you say, well, why, what's his issue with strong people? Does he not like to be around strong people? No, he loves people who are strong. But typically, people who are strong think that they don't need him. Big problem. But people that are humble, he makes them great. And all great people, whether they're Christian or not Christian, all great people have two things, two earmarks. They give and they forgive. They give and they forgive. You look into their life, they give generously. They, they just, they're givers. And they have learned how to forgive. And, and when Jesus finds a Tamar or a Frankie, he's, he's drawn to us weak people that have come to him and say, I surrender my life because he says, I see your past, I see your present, but I still have a future for you. And those of us who have been forgiven most, forgive most. And those of us who have been given much, give much. And so a lot of times, the most broken people become the strongest. Because we've learned to give and forgive. Because we've been given to and forgiven much. I want you to know this Christmas that when Jesus showed up, the angel said, wow, this is big. All your sins, everything that's happened in the past, it's all forgiven. He sees your heart's desire And it's louder to him than all of your actions. He sees where you are trying to go and you just made mistakes along the way. And his sovereign plan, he can't wait to share it with you. And in turn, you will end up being some of the best givers and the best forgivers, which is a reflection of who your father is in heaven.